Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. One of the problems with working with students in nature and trying to teach them about like nature awareness or nature connection is that nature connection seems to work best when we don't talk about it, when we just do it, when we're actually doing things that engage us with the environment. That's one of the kind of uh, conundrums or the contradictions that we have with this topic. Uh, and I've actually tried to record this like four times and I get kind of way down these deep rabbit holes. So I'm trying not to do that in this recording. So hopefully fifth time's a charm. So let's dive into this for a second. The other problem that we have is that there are two different definitions that I like to use for nature awareness. And one of them is the idea of being aware of nature and having a nature connection that is what I consider to be a passive experience. So for example, if you're going walking and you're just like thinking about all the stuff you have to do and you're trying to like, you know, move and and walk where you're not hundred percent present, your brain is still in that kind of future thinking and, you know, really not being hundred percent there, but you're in nature, you're getting all these wonderful benefits, physical, mental health wise, you're connecting, you know, but you're, but it's, it's done in a passive way. You know, it's like nature's the background to whatever else you're doing. And that's awesome. And then there's another version of nature connection, which I call like the dynamic nature connection or dynamic nature awareness, where we're actually building a relationship with nature. And what we're doing is listening to what nature's saying, kind of like an, uh, if you're having a relationship with a regular person, you're you're perceiving things that nature is telling you, showing you, connecting with you, and then you respond in a certain way back, and then nature responds back. So there's an actual flow of information and our senses that that is something that's very difficult for people in the modern world to understand. And most people won't understand it until they actually start experiencing it. And when they do, it is a major deal. And this is where oftentimes in a nature program, you will go out, you'll be out running around, maybe you're on a canoeing trip somewhere, all these sort of things are happening, but you're away from society you're paddling, you're sitting by a campfire, you're cooking something over the fire, like, and, and these feelings and understandings and senses and everything all starts to awaken something really different that you maybe have never experienced before. And when that does, oftentimes your heart opens at that moment, at that moment, kind of like falling in love, kind of like uh, being so engaged and excited about and passionate about whatever you're doing, like maybe as an artist or as a writer or something, when you have that experience, it is like a mile, a milepost or a signpost, or a milestone, I guess you would say, that is where is a point in which you went at this moment, everything beyond here, <laughs> everything changed because all of a sudden I was awakened to the fact that this exists. And wow, it's incredible. And this will happen in programs if you are designing your program for these kinds of experiences. And so when I talk about this, doing nature awareness with my students, most of the time I'm just talking about it from a survival point of view, from a wilderness point of view, because I'm kind of thinking like, well, if you're going to go out and you're going to build a fire with a, you know, fire by friction, you're going to make a bow drill or a hand drill set and you need dry wood, and you need a certain kind of wood, and you need some fibers for the string. If you need that, you need tinder. You know, you need to find stones to be able to carve the set if you don't have a knife. So all of those things are things where we have to find that in nature. And so in order to do that, we have to engage, you know, with the natural world. And we have to basically uh, begin building that understanding of where things are and what, you know, 
what are the tree's names and, you know, and, and what wood is dry and how do I tell if a wood is dry or, or wet or if it's green or if it's just, you know, just the right type of material to do what we're looking for, whether it's making a bow and arrow or, you know, making an arrowhead or making a basket or whatever it is, uh, some rope or string, like all of these things start to um, work on us. And we don't really realize it because it's happening almost subconsciously because we're just getting full contact. But while we're doing this survival skills type of experience, our brain is focusing on both trying to maintain that intellectual version of the world and also feeling in their body the idea of these are really, really old ancestral skills that are part of all of humanity because we all come from ancestors who did these skills for hundreds and thousands of generations. So when we do this, it becomes something that is like a dynamic meditation where we're, we're almost in a meditative state. Like you see people do that where they're knitting or crocheting or doing some kind of handwork that is a little bit, I don't want to say mindless, but because that makes it, that's too harsh. But it's this idea of that you don't need to use all of your attention, and it's something that is very, very soothing to our to something inside of us. There's just a soothing experience that feels really, really good, uh, and and that was one of the main reasons why I have always loved wilderness and nature skills, is because I just really enjoy the feeling that I get when I'm you know, sanding and carving a wooden spoon or, or making a really soft, beautiful deer hide or whatever it is. It just feels right when that's happening. And all of these things are working synergistically with all of our five senses to begin to form something where, you know, what will happen down the road. I'm not talking about like, you know, oh, I took a bunch of sixth graders and then in 45 minutes that all this started happening. This is something that does take time and it takes a certain commitment by the person. Who, they have to invest. They have to buy in on the concept and and begin doing this and just doing it a number of times to where it starts to build up like a muscle where they can just shift into that. Oh, I got to look for Tinder right now. Oh, I got to look for a bird's nest or that's not being used, or I have to look for some stones, or I have to find where some the closest water is, or whatever it is that we need. And all of a sudden, that relationship opens up. It's kind of like if you have a friend and you're just like, oh, I need to be able to fix the faucet in my bathroom. And you're like, oh, I have a friend who knows how to do that. And you call your friend and they're like, hey, yeah, I can help you. Like, that's what nature is like. That's the relationship. It's like you just go, hey, I could I really use a, a round stone right now to be able to do blah, 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 pound a stake in the ground or whatever. And all of a sudden, an idea will pop in your head. A place will pop into your head. And it will be, oh, yeah, go down to the river. Go down to the river. Obviously, there's stones down there. But sometimes you'll actually see it in your mind. And you'll see either a branch or something, and you'll feel It'll just feel right to go to a certain place. And sometimes it's not going to the river. Sometimes it's like, oh, walk behind me. Go For some reason, I need to go behind this pine tree. And you go behind the pine tree and you see another tree that fell over and it, the roots of it lifted up the soil. And there in the roots is the perfect stone you need just presented. And this tree is like handing it to you. I swear this happens to me all the time. It happened to me all, a lot and it, Got to the point where it just happens so often that I just take it for granted. But when it happens in the beginning, you're just like, whoa, what is going on? Why I, I had this feeling to go around the corner, even though it was the opposite direction I thought. I thought I had to go all the way down to the river. I didn't. It was right there. And I knew it was right there. And I listened to this inner voice and it's there. So this is where it can go. And that even that level isn't even that spectacular. There's another layer above it. But the, the idea behind this is that this is the dynamic relationship-based connection that I'm talking about. So how do we get there? How do you, as a nature educator, take this information, this, these ideas, these concepts, and begin to integrate that into your practice? 
And the way that I have done this is by trying to do activities that keep our, keep our minds, you know, our modern civilization mind going, you know, the, the modern culture is, is really thinking about, you know, what's going on in the future. I have to get ready. Is everything okay? I'm like living in the past, living in the future, living in the, it's difficult to be really present in today's world. And it's also tricky because we have an intellectualized and somewhat of a fantasy idea of what we believe the world is all about that is given to us by our culture. And our culture has said, this is what's important. You know, having a job, having a house, having whatever, whatever it is that you're, the message is you all can fill in the blanks. But civilization tells us what's the most important thing. And the media tells us that, and our friends tell us that, and everybody's behavior and actions around us tell us those things. And that drives us because you're just like, oh, if everybody's telling you, you got to watch out for this and do this, you kind of buy into it. And, and it. and it happens over years and you're just immersed in it constantly from the moment you're born almost. And so it's very difficult to understand life outside of that. And that's where your students are. When they show up in your program, they're just like, hey, I don't know what's going on and uh, hopefully it's good and whatever. And are there bears here? You know, like they're just there and doing their thing. The younger they are, the less you have to worry about this because they haven't quite bought into the story. And, you know, I mean, I could go into a whole diatribe about like pre-civilization cultures and then post-civilization, you know, or, or once you become civilized, you know, we've taken away all these risks out there. We've killed a lot of the apex predators. We've tamed the land. We've flattened down all the roads so you don't have to pay attention to where you're walking. We've, we, you know, we've brought things to us to be able to buy so we don't have to go out and look for, you know, something to make shoes. They're just, we go to the store and the shoes are right there. So all these things are there and, and they, you know, some of these things are good. Some of these things that are in, present in our culture um, you know, especially health-wise, like are they're undeniably better for us to have as an existence a more positive experience for the majority of people. Um, and then there's some that are really inherently you know, horribly bad. And, you know, I, I don't know. I can't decide. I know some people are like believing like, oh, we should all go back to hunter-gatherers. That's that's neither here nor there. It's really up to you and whatever your predilection is and whatever fantasy you choose to believe in that capacity, because I've lived in the woods and let me tell you, it isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be either because most of the time when we do it, we're alone. Uh, I've never had the joy of being able to do it in a culture and saying, you know, Hey, I went back 10,000 years and I'm with a band of people that know what's going on. And so none of us have that experience yet, really. Um, for the most part, there's there are some people that do go out and live that way, but it's, it's a very, 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 very small percentage. So we, I don't know where we're going, but I will say that when we bring somebody in to the forest and we begin to work with them and we begin to change that perspective and we, we basically move from our head and our mind and our, and, and a kind of a future thinking, past thinking worry, anxiety, have trouble staying in the moment, mind or situation. And we begin to do things that put us right in the present moment and right opening our senses. We're moving our awareness from that head place into the bottoms of our feet because we're trying to play a game that involves being very quiet. We might actually be looking for something on in the river and we have to get on our hands and knees. We have to actually walk into the water and the water's cold or the water's warm or whatever. We might have to climb a tree to get something. And we're now like, suddenly we're no longer, you know, at five feet above, above the earth with our head and our sight dominant experience. We're suddenly now 10 feet higher than that. And we're suddenly looking around going, wow, the world looks different right here. Hey, this is what birds look like. You know, birds experience all the time. This is what squirrels see, whatever. And so what happens is that we begin to shift our awareness into these other places. And that starts putting us back into the present moment. 
and shifts us away from the, you know, civilization mindset, the culture, you know, the modern culture, the modern mindset. And doing that actually has a lot of benefits because it allows us to shift. And when we shift, we're able to see more possibilities. We're able to actually enter into a state of oneness. When, when our mind isn't being anxious and then doing that whole dance, we actually get a lot of energy. That takes a lot of energy mentally to go. I mean, anybody that's living in society knows that it's exhausting. Like we're all exhausted all the time because this is just really, really difficult. And most people don't understand how difficult it is because we don't ever stop. And this is the beauty of our programs, people. This is one of the powers that we have. This is one of the gifts that we can give to our culture if we can just figure out ways to help people understand it. And honestly, talking about it, again, is almost the worst way of doing it. But this is about me talking to you as forest educators and teachers. I wouldn't be sharing this all with the all everyone else in the world because it's just not the best way to do it. Because it's strong to somebody in that other mindset. It just sounds really weird and it sounds, you know, like, is it hippie? Is it drug related? What, what are you talking about, man? You're crazy, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm not crazy and I'm not talking about that stuff, but the, it will not be interpreted correctly because there isn't a language. Modern civilization doesn't have the right language to understand what we're saying. That's, this is why this episode is so difficult to, to record because I'm trying to put concepts in that are tricky. So back to your groups, back to your, your, uh, you know, your students, when those students are coming and you begin to shift, you begin to play games that involve stalking and quiet movement. You begin to move on the landscape or in and around bushes and trees and over logs. And you begin to move like a human being would move 10,000 years ago flowing with the landscape. You're not necessarily sticking to a 12 foot wide paved graded trail through the forest where you don't have to even look down and you don't have to do anything. You can just mindlessly be scrolling on your phone and walking through the redwoods or whatever. You're, you start to change that perspective and doing that again, frees up energy and it frees up our attention and it frees up our, our mind to be able to now suddenly go, Hey, why did that tree fall over? Hey, what's that animal track? Hey, I'm suddenly realizing there's this really incredible smell coming from somewhere. Where, what is that? And, and when this starts happening, you are starting to engage with the world in the way that our pre-civilization ancestors did all the time, probably the majority, 99% of the time, because that is like our natural state. And it's, it's curious about the world. They, it's able to see the magic. It's able to be grateful. It's also willing to stay really present and, and say, what is this telling me? What are those clouds? I'm, I'm actually noticing the clouds. I'm actually noticing how the ground feels, the moisture in the, in the soil. I'm seeing and smelling and see, you know, I'm, I'm looking and my senses are expanding to understand what is happening around me right now. And looking for animals, looking for food, looking for shelter. We're, we're looking for water, whatever it is that we're doing. All of a sudden, everything changes. And it's not a, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, it happens all of a sudden, but through these activities, it will then happen all, you know, individually at, at for them, it'll just suddenly come together. And most of you, if you've been doing this a while, you know what I'm talking about. You know that they're out of a group of 10 students. There might be two of them that have been doing this work for a while. They've been in the program and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm still in this here. And then all of a sudden they put it together and you can just look across the circle and you go, your eyes meet and you go, oh, okay, I see. We get it. You, you have this like knowing. You don't even talk about it because there's no words, but you just get it that they get it. And they understand like they're in the club now or whatever. And like, it's, it's very, very difficult to accomplish again, if you're trying to explain it. So, oh my gosh. All right. 
So let me go into this for a second, a little bit more. I'm going to just talk about activities. Let's do that. So there's activities that are like what I call stealing the dragon's treasure, where someone sits blindfolded and their job is to listen to people coming into the circle to take a pine cone or a shoe or whatever it is that you've chosen to put around them. And that is the dragon's treasure. And the people coming in, the students coming in are stalking in like one at a time or from different directions and very, very quietly moving to pick up their pine cone or pick up a stone or pick up something right close to that person, maybe three feet away. And they're the, they tr- are trying to be super quiet and then get the stone or the shoe or whatever and get back without being seen or listen or without being heard and pointed to. If they step on something and the person sitting there blindfolded senses you and points to you, you have to wait. And sometimes you either, you know, you get caught and you're busted and you have to go sit some, it depends on how you play the game. I used to play the game where you would just have to freeze and then you'd have to count in your head to a hundred and then you could start stalking again, which is kind of what you do in the forest when you're like trying to be quiet and all of a sudden you step on a twig. It's like, if you just freeze, everything around you will like look around and they don't see any movement. They go, all right, it's probably okay. And then the birds, everything goes back to whatever they're doing. So, you know, this game can be played a lot of different ways, but the beautiful thing about this, you don't have to teach them about movement. You don't have to teach them how to be quiet because they'll figure it out. And this activity and pretty much all of the activities that I talk about in all of my work are process oriented uh, skills and activities, meaning that you want to do them over and over and over again and do until they understand the process of it. It's not, the goal isn't to do that game once and then go, okay, yep, yeah, I did an awareness game. Okay, now moving on. I've graduated. The idea is to do it a number of times and have you play both roles, be in the center, be out stalking, be in the center. So, you know, switching that around and then moving the activity from, you know, your front lawn to your backyard where you're underneath some some different trees and there's different roots and things that you're going to feel under the ground or right under your feet. So now you're changing that. Then you go to a gravel, you know, gravel pit or gravel area, or you go to where there's sand, you go to where there's um, moss. Like you take the game to all, all different levels and, and you make it some places really hard and you and you just keep practicing because every time you do it you'll start to some something inside eventually will let go and when something lets go all of a sudden it's like a light comes on and if you're the one blindfolded you will just point right to every person as soon as they start to move you point even if they didn't make a sound you'll see this as an educator because then at that point you're like okay i guess we're going to have to do a different game because or this person can no longer be the person in the center, the dragon, because they're just, they can tell, they can tune in and they know where you are. There's actually a level that you can keep doing with the game where now you have to talk about masking your thoughts, masking your human form or your civilization mind and letting go. Like in other words, there's a level where you actually practice if you're stalking in, where you have to imagine that you are a shadow moving across the grass and you have to actually become the shadow. And when you can actually begin to do that, that person won't be able to see you anymore or, you know, hear you. The person in the middle who's blindfolded, who's really, really good. You will then suddenly disappear from them as a human being. You'll still be a shadow when, but they're not going to, you know, try to see that in their mind's eye as they're, as they're playing. So it's, it's a really, really cool thing to do all of these types of activities multiple, multiple times. Like, please, if you can, I mean, even just doing it once is really cool, but doing it many, many times, there's so much gold in that process. Another thing I've done is blindfolding where you're blindfolded and you're walking with someone who can see, and you're just moving through the forest. And sometimes you have your hand on their shoulder and you're just walking with them. And this does two things. It teaches you about moving on the land and it also teaches you about um, how this other person's 
movements feel through your hand? Like what information can you find? Like all of a sudden they freeze for a second, even though they're, they can see because they're suddenly, they're making these little micro adjustments all the time as they're walking through the forest. And the other person who's walking, who, who isn't blindfolded can feel the other person and when they're having trouble and they don't need to communicate that because you'll just feel it and you'll be able to instinctively slow down because you sense that they're gripping tight more tightly and you can get to the point where it's very, very, very subtle where you're just moving together and connected with just through touch, you know, with your hand on their shoulder and you're moving also with the land. And that is really cool. You know, each of these things like helps you to shift your awareness from that mind dominant, you know, kind of intellectually understood version of the world to being 100% fully present. And it's, it's phenomenal. Blindfold drumstock is a really good game that you can play where you have a drum or sometimes I have like an empty, one of those empty five gallon water, water bottles, uh, the blue ones or whatever. And you go out in the woods and you kind of like knock it with a stick and it makes this kind of cool echoey sound. And you have the students blindfolded and they have to walk towards that sound. And, you know, you can start really easy in areas where there's not a lot of obstructions and they have the ideas, they blindfold and start walking. And you really have to pick a good area where a, there isn't like poison Ivy or, you know, choy, choyo cactus or something like you don't want to have them have to pick out, you know, these massive uh, thorns or, or get stumble into a hornet's nest or whatever. Like you have to really uh, think it through and go and check out the area. But if you look and pick two or three different areas and you move them into those different places after for each level, uh, they get really good at that. And at some point they will be walking blindfolded. And I've seen this happen sometimes the very first time I do it where they will be walking blindfolded and they're moving towards the drum or the, the sound of, you know, that they're, you know, the sound they're moving towards and they will just suddenly come right up to a tree and just stop. And they, it's like, they know that there's a tree there and they'll reach their hand out and just touch it to confirm. And then they'll walk around. Sometimes they won't reach out, but they'll just stop, turn and go around the tree. And they didn't even necessarily even know it was there, but their body knew. And it's really awesome when that starts happening. I've seen this happen before where I saw a blindfolded person <laughs> walking and they came up onto this huge hedge. Uh, it's like a big Asian honeysuckle bush. You know, it's super thick and everything else. If you're standing upright and you're like four or five feet tall and you're trying to go through it, you cannot go through it. It's impenetrable. And I saw this person. I thought, oh, he's going to feel all around the edges and he's going to go around, which is great. And all of a sudden I saw him get down on his hands and knees and he disappeared. And I was like, uh-oh, where does he go? Like, why is he going that way? And, and then, you know, three minutes later, very quietly, I heard a couple cracklings. He pops up on the other side and he just keeps walking. And in, when he told me about it later, he said, I was going and I could feel this bush and I could feel this whole thing. And I said, I, I didn't know where to go. And there was a little voice inside me that said, go down, go down. And he went down and he said, I could see that there was this like space under me, underneath and he goes, I could feel this little breeze. And he goes, I just started moving and nothing really, you know, scratched me. Or he goes, I got a little bit scratched, but I went through there and all of a sudden I was on the other side. I could feel the difference in the, in the wind and the way the uh, air was. And it was amazing. And he, he told me about it and I, and he said, this was fantastic. And I have, I have hundreds of these stories that happen over and over again. So um, this is what happens is that you're by taking away that sense of sight, it, it's shifting us into what is an ability that we all have all the time. So again, these are gifts and let's see what else, what's another awareness game. I mean, most of these things like going out and doing a wilderness survival program, training them, gathering things, learning how to carve learning how to scrape things with bark and stones, 
you know, going out and looking for things by the river, going tracking, like all of these things get us into a dynamic connection to nature, you know, making a digging stick and then going out and finding some burdock and digging for like three hours, trying to get the roots out. Like these are, these are just incredible full contact with nature experiences. And it's so interesting to watch because when you begin doing it, people will just go with whatever's in their head. And I remember teaching them about, about digging sticks. And we all made cool digging sticks out of like really nice hardwood ash. We sharpened the tips of them. We burned them in the fire to fire harden them, carved them, sanded them, did all this stuff. It was really fun. And then I said, all right, we're going to go out and gather, you know, tomorrow and we're going to gather. And one of the days I had said, hey, this is burdock. Burdock has an edible root. And, and there was a big giant plant stalk. And I said, this is a two-year plant. So the first year, all the energy goes into the root and it's just a cluster of leaves at the bottom. And I said, the second year, all the energy in that root goes, shoots up and makes this big stalk. And I said, that when it makes that big stalk, it's not really good to eat anymore because all the energy that was in the root is now in the stalk. And it's like massive. It's like seven feet high or five feet high and huge leaves and everything. And so we will go out and start walking with our digging sticks to look for plants to dig. And immediately someone will see a huge burdock plant stalk there and they will go run over there and just start digging as hard as they could. And they just encounter all these like rocks and gravel and stones and roots and everything. And it's just a nightmare. And whatever they get is usually really woody and weird and, you know, not very good. And they only get like a two inches of the, of the root. And then, <laughs> and then we, t and then we say, Hey, do you guys want to actually gather some stuff? And they're like, okay. I go, yeah, let's go to this other spot. And we just start walking by the river. And there in the like soft, loamy soil where, you know, it's a natural floodplain that the river floods every three or four years a little bit. And all this like nice topsoil gets deposited. And there are these beautiful, perfect burdock, you know, both the second year stalk and the first year. And all of a sudden they see them and they go over there and they will feel, you know, each person will like kind of carefully go up and look for the right plant. And they'll go down and start to dig and they can just sink their digging stick down, like, you know, a foot down and they can like wiggle it around and just, you know, all of a sudden this whole root comes popping right out. And they're just amazed because when they realized that when their mind was saying, got to get burdock, get burdock, get burdock, you know, it didn't necessarily feel right, but they wanted to do it so bad that they just started, they overrode their internal sensor that was like, yeah. I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's going to be a lot of work. Like the the inner voice in us would think that, but the the in external, you know, the the uh, mental voice inside, and the need and the desire to, you know, maybe be the first one to do it, or you just want to, you know, get it. You're just very goal oriented in that moment, and then all of a sudden we let go and we're just walking and being present, and then boom, there they are, and then it's like easy and effortless, and that's. Again, all of that is nature awareness. It's nature connection, but it becomes a dynamic relationship, not a passive while I'm thinking about everything else experience. So you're, you're getting the passive and the dynamic at the same time. Uh, just so you know, they're not two separate things in a way. They're actually both happening at the same time when you're engaged directly with the natural world and beginning to move into that mindset that's very present and sensory based. Uh, another element that I would say is I, I love trying to create changes in perception based on like lying on the ground. There are a lot of games I play that are like hiding games where kids go and they, I have them hide. And the only place they can hide is either behind a tree or laying on the ground. And I do that because a, it's really good to be able to know how to hide in a split second. And I've taught, you know, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of kids how to hide in 30 seconds or, you know, two minutes where if somebody was coming down the trail you could just go around a corner of the trail, disappear, and they would come around the corner. They wouldn't be, never be able to find you. And that 
is a real skill that has saved some of my kids' lives, or at least saved them from a potentially bad experience because they've been chased by somebody or whatever, something creepy or weird. But the idea here in this is to both give them that skill that and practice doing that and then not just do it once, but over and over and over again. But also, I want them to lay on the ground. When they're laying on the ground, all of a sudden, they're going to see all kinds of cool things. They might see a mouse. One kid had a turtle climb up, call, you know, a little box turtle crawl over his leg. And he was just like, whoa, a turtle didn't even care that I was there. And I could see it. And it was just the coolest encounter, not expected. Boom. Kids have had deer step over them. They've had birds come and like pull some hair out and to go make a nest. I mean, all kinds of really crazy things have happened. And it's just magical. And it's, and it only happens because they're now laying on the ground and feeling it with their whole body. And they're trying to be quiet and they're trying to still their mind. And all those things add up to a very, very dynamic shift of perspective because now they're suddenly seeing the world from the eyes and perspective of a box turtle or a chipmunk or a woodland jumping mouse or whatever it might be. And you're getting to see close up, like this is what ferns look like from underneath if you were laying on the ground. This is what the trees look like if I look up. You know, from the ground, looking up at the sky in a way that just frames them in a certain way that's just different than when you're standing upright. And it's just, uh, you know, so, so valuable to do these things where you can actually do both things at the same time. You can learn something that's valuable and you can also have this dynamic experience beginning to build. So you want to try to get them, the students to feel things not just in their in their mind but you want mud squishing between their toes you want them to feel clay squishing between their fingers you want to have them know what that feels like for for moss and you know to try you know burrowing into a debris shelter that you made so that they're like surrounded by these like leaves from the forest and this like rich like smell of the of the trees as the leaves just fell off, you know, it just, it's just an, like a, almost like it's almost a nutty smell depending on where you are. Like there's a, a really cool smell that they, that the leaves have that's still clinging to them, you know, before they break down and tur- begin to turn to soil. Like these are things that, you know, anytime we're associating these experiences with smell, it goes into a really deep part of our brain that's like can get then triggered later on in life. So we're giving them experiences that have those elements that can't, it's like a seed you're planting that will then start sprouting in two years or five years or 20 years. And it's just a gift. I, I mean, I can't say enough about what that's like. And I'm going to, I mean, again, I'm, I have a lot, a lot of things I could keep going with here, but I want to say that in my mind, most people who are living in our modern culture, we tend to slip into like what I call the most, the easiest possible scenario or answer that I can give so that I can get out of having a conversation or get out of even thinking about anything other than whatever's going on in my brain. And so I've seen this happen over and over again where you know, you're just hanging out with your friends or you're, you're out at a grocery store or something and something happens and people that are standing around that are witnessing it, whatever it might be, will just stand there and they will witness whatever it is. Maybe somebody's like walking and stumbling through the store or whatever, and they will witness something and then they will immediately, almost immediately turn and go, you know, well, I don't know what that prop their problem is. Like, well, they must be drunk or they like they they will find the easiest solution to make it into either a joke or to just dismiss it. And then they almost like they're asked, they're trying to give themselves permission to go back to their life. They're they're to just go back to whatever they were doing and to forget about it. And they don't allow themselves the opportunity to like think for a little bit and to ask questions and to say, Hey, I wonder what was going on with that person. 
or, you know, why did this happen? I mean, that scenario is just a tiny, I mean, it could be anything. It could be just somebody saying something that might feel odd or just different, or someone just comes in and they are kind of sitting on the couch and you go, Hey, rather than going, Oh, they must be tired and blah, blah, you know, dismissing them. So you can go do what you do. You think, Hey, let me just check in with this person. I'm curious what's going on for you right now. Sincerely wanting to know, and then taking whatever information you get and seeing what you can do with that. But there's this like curiosity and there's being in the moment and there's like sensing their mood, sensing their body language, um, looking at what's going on all around you all the time and having a sense of wonder and also reaching out and then maybe asking a question and then list, really listening to the response. If you start to train people to have other perspectives that take that into account and connect to it, you're giving them an incredible gift because you're basically building the ability for like a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 12 or 25-year-old, you're, you're building in for them a, a means of really entering into a real relationship with human beings, with yourself, with people around us, and with your animals and pets and everything else. But in the kind of like modern culture mind, it's like, I, I see it as like intellectually lazy. It's, it's not, it's not that we're like, oh, you're bad because you're lazy. It's much more like, oh, I really feel anxious all the time. And this is some weird thing that happened and I'm kind of freaked out by it. And I don't really want to even add any more freaking out or anxiousness to what I'm already handling. So I'm going to make a joke. It's going to be kind of nervous and I'm going to move on because I just can't deal with it. So I guess I'd say we have a reaction that's probably a trauma-induced reaction. Uh, it's not necessarily that we're lazy, but we just can't engage. We don't have the mental capacity energy-wise to be able to stop and and analyze or think or wonder or question. And I see this happening all the time and, you know, we're living in late stage capitalism and it's, it's difficult. Like this is a tough time for us and, you know, we're, we need nature and we need people who can help us more than ever, more than we've ever needed in the history of human race. We need our, we need what you as a nature educator are, are bringing to the table in every capacity. But, but what what we're doing is helping to free up energy by shifting out of that mindset to allow for more possibilities, to allow for more intuitive insights, for more creativity. We're allowing for more leadership that's coming from a really, really good place, not leadership that we have now, which is, you know, how, who can fund my campaign or whatever. It's, it's like a different kind of uh, connection not just with the culture, but with ourselves. And, you know, when we shift out, when you're laying under that log and you suddenly see this really cool flower or a really beautiful mushroom or something, the, the greenness of the moss. I, I've had kids tell me that they were sitting there staring at this green moss, you know, waiting for the group to come and see if they could find them. And they would tell me, Ricardo, I was looking at this moss and I just could not believe how green it was. And I was right there. It was like four inches from my face. And they said, I just, I felt like I was, <laughs> I felt like I was in a different world. Like, like they were, they just were connecting to something that changes. It just changed everything for them. And like you start unlocking these things in your brain, whether it's a new flavor that you have. I don't know. Some of you might've read, and I'd, I'd have to look up this study to make sure it's really true or hasn't been debunked. But I remember reading a story once about a, an article that talked about how um, they had mice or rats and they were uh, fed. Mo all these mice and rats were be were fed a, a simple diet of, you know, these food pellets, whatever they are, alfalfa or whatever. And they were fed this their whole lives and they tested their brainwaves and they were like, oh, all their brainwaves were pretty similar. They were all you know, regular rat brainwaves, mice brainwaves. And then they said that they 
in some of the mice or rats, they gave them, they gave them like a grape or some other kind of food that was good for them that they could eat, but was radically different than what they normally ate. And they took their time and they like looked at it and they, you know, tried to figure out whether they should eat it. And eventually they tentatively ate some of it. And they said, when they ate it, their brainwaves changed. And they said, the brainwaves of those animals changed forever. Like it, they never went back to this, the, the regular pattern. And I, I mean, I don't even know how they could tell or what, whatever it is, but they said that it changed them even if they never had that food ever again, if they were just fed whatever alfalfa pellets for the rest of their lives, it changed them. So when we do these activities, and I, again, if anybody knows that anything about that study, send it to me or send me a link or just give me a shout because I'd love to find out more about this. This is, a, to me, really powerful. Because to me, I believe that when we have these experiences, it does change us fundamentally and give us options and it gives us resources and it gives us abilities of perception and understanding and questioning and, and hope in a way that we just cannot seem to get in modern in modern late stage capitalism. We can't get there through that model anymore, that human existence experience. That, that is just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's, there are some things. And, and again, this isn't an absolute, like people, there are people that live in that world who also do really incredible good things too, and can slip in and out. So I'm kind of illustrating, talking about it as if they're separate to make a point, but it is somewhat it is very nuanced like everything, but I'm hoping that you're understanding this because this is really important to understand what you're doing when you play these games with children, when you're giving them these sensory experiences. And, and as you do that with adults, if you do that with elderly people, if you do that, people who are um, handicapped in different ways, you know, that are disabled in different ways, like you, when you give them something new, they've never done before it is really a big deal to their nervous system to their to who they are fundamentally as a person even if you can't see it initially after 6 days or 7 days of doing this with a, a group of 10 year olds you can see it in the way they stand they will literally stand 2 inches taller their eyes are bright they are just like their energy is changed fundamentally and parents freak out because they're just like, what did you do? You, you gave my son their, that, that inner light back that they had three years ago that they lost when they started going to school. And I, I don't know what you did, but you did it. You brought my son back to me and they, they will let you know, because like for me, I don't, I never saw the kid before, <laughs> before that week. So I don't know what they were really like, but it will change them. And you will see it and you don't even have to talk about it because it's right there. You don't have to go, Hey, did you like, you know, touching the pine needles when we played that game? Like you, the talking about it's crazy. Why? You know, they know, and you can see the result right there. So I don't know. You, I mean, obviously there, you have to assess things and everything else for like, there's this whole assessment thing that, that modern uh, culture wants where they're like, well, prove to us, you learned something, prove this. You have to be able to articulate it. You have to intellectualize something in order to prove that it happened or that it, that it actually is making a difference and all that. And I'm just going to say, if that worked to prove those things intellectually, to fundamentally shift the culture, then we would have the culture radically shift because we do studies all the time. We're real good at doing studies. We just don't ever listen to them. And we don't even know, even when we verify that these things are there, like, like nature is good and we want to do that. We just take forever to act because capitalism and our modern culture doesn't really want to change. It's resistant to change. And, it, and it's very, very difficult to change when you're in a fear state all the time anyway. So then if you're already in that fear, you really don't have the option to change because, well, what if, what if it doesn't work out? What if it's bad? What if it's this? What if it's that? So there's so much fear that you can't really get there. You can't really commit to making that choice or taking action. And 
This is what you see when children and or adults have been in a in a nature connected dynamic relationship where they're they're accessing those parts of themselves. They are able to take action. They are able to just go outside, grab a stick, come back, carve some amazing thing, and then go do something. And it's like nothing to them because they have this free energy. And it's really intense for someone who is in that other mindset to even understand, like, what is happening? How did that person even carve that? How did they make draw that picture? How did they take, you know, that deer skin and turn it into this incredible, you know, piece of clothing or whatever? Like, it's mind-boggling and they they can't quite comprehend it. And I'm just here to say, I hope this is helpful. And I hope you can get outside. I hope you can see and maybe try to change your own perspective a little bit. I wish that we had a lot more nature awareness educators who are operating at that higher level because I think it would be great for us to not only ourselves, if we're leading these activities, we want we want that to be led for us so we can have those experiences so then we can actually really get why we need to keep doing these activities and doing them over and over again and what are the values of them. Uh, because if you don't do that, then you're just reading an activity that you see in a book and you go, hey, let's try this. I read it in such and such. This looks fun. And then you do it and you do it once and then you're like, okay, whatever. And maybe you pull it out of your bag every six months or so. and. That, that would be a mistake. Uh, so I'm hoping that we can take this further. This is just an initial discussion and uh, we'll see where it goes. Anyway, good luck to all of you. Thank you for doing what you do and have a good one. I will see you in the woods. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.